I'm good, my brother. Can't complain, man. Pleasure to meet you, man. How's things, bro? Everything's good, man. Pleasure to meet y'all, too. I appreciate the interview. Yes, sir. So we're both Bronx natives. Both of us currently live in Connecticut now, but we're both from the Bronx. Originally, I'm from the South Bronx, then I moved up to the North Bronx. Rob is from the North Bronx also. Um, I could tell by the by the criminal minded poster behind you. Oh, yeah, that's that's the Bible. That's the Bible. That's it. That's us. That's all it be. So so the crazy thing is, when I I left the Bronx, I moved to Connecticut for about two years, three years, and then I, I left. But I went from the Bronx to Connecticut. That's the crazy shit. It was Stanford, Connecticut. I wasn't that deep. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. That's, yo, that seems to be where people migrate. Either people come up real quick to Connecticut or to Jersey because they feel like they could get to it fast. Right. Yeah, right, but nobody right. nobody want to pay that toll that Jersey. The reason why I went to Connecticut, I didn't want to pay that Jersey toll every day. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? And it's and it's worse now. It's yeah. crazy now, son. Yeah, it's, it's like crazy. 15, $16, right? If you got easy. Well, everybody yeah. have easy pass now. Yeah, I can't even tell no more because they don't even, you don't even stop no more. You just keep driving and they bill you later. <laughs> All right. So how'd you get into production? Tell us about your journey into getting into to becoming a producer. Um, well, I was a DJ. I went to um Howard University. I DJed for the better part of like three years. And then I, I got, ended up getting kicked out of college. And when I got kicked out of college, um, I came home and a friend of mine, my, my ex-partner Thriller, he was, yeah, bought an MP. And he was going out of town to ask him if I could hold the MP. Uh, long story short, I learned how to use it. I made well, I thought I learned how to use it. <laughs> uh, I made a couple. Of, I made a couple of beats, and I, I ended up selling those two beats that I made to a guy by the name of Todd Terry. And Todd Terry, I guess he believed in me. I met him one time, and after that, he, he bought me close to like thirty thousand dollars worth of equipment, sent it to my crib, and I was just off to the races. You know what I mean? Like, but the whole shit kind of happened in a way where I couldn't have did anything else. But make music. It was. It wasn't right. like. It would have been like spitting in God's face for me to go, and go do something else with my life. Everything was kind of falling in my lap in a way, and I had to just, you know, take advantage as, of it. As our Christian brothers would say, "Look at God." <laughs> Listen, yeah, and I, and I, and and that was that was the beauty of that. I think is that when someone sees the talent you have, you're not really knowing if it, what talent is in that sense. For thirty thousand right. equipment to drop at your doorstep, like what was going through your head to see that come through your door? Like, oh shit, I think I got myself into something. <laughs> nah, it was just more so like, it was like a kid on Christmas in the sense of like, I have no excuse now. Like before, it might have been like, yo, I don't got the money to buy this equipment. If, if I had this equipment, I could do this. Wow. Now I had whatever I wanted, so it was up to me to just like. When he did that, I literally stayed in the crib for about. You might think I'm lying to you, man. Like it was probably like a good two years. I was just locked in, just just trying to get better. Trying but to learn that stuff. Like that. And it didn't even feel like that to me because I just I just wanted to get better so bad that the days didn't feel like weeks and months would pass, and it just felt like one long ass day to me. You know what I mean? Like I can't describe the feeling to you when you really love something and you want to learn it and you want to figure it out and get better. Time isn't really like a time is no obstacle to you. Right. You kind of just deal with the time, you know what I mean? Right. Let me ask you this question, because I usually ask artists, artists, because I consider you an artist. I know you're a producer, but creativity right. comes in there at a great deal. How important to you is imagination? It's super important. That's why you hear a lot of artists, like, before they get out of their natural element, like, if they from the hood or wherever they from, their first project or their first their first bit of work is usually their most defined work because that's everything bottled up in like all their imagination, all their thoughts, everything they ever wanted to get out of, out of their brain is like that first project. And then after that, it takes the extra creative artist to keep pulling from that same place. But if you notice, you'll see a lot of artists be like, I went back to my old neighborhood to write this album because mm-hmm. they trying to find that, they trying to find that imagination, that feel, that creativity. Mm. Because they, they think they left it there, you know what I'm saying? That's Meanwhile, right. it's really, it's really inside of you. Like I, I strongly believe that, like I made records like Dipset Anthem, and I don't think I'll ever be able to make another Dipset Anthem. Not because I'm not as good. It's just because where I'm at in my life, my 
my my my brain is different. I think different. My the way I feel about things are different. The way I handle things are different. So my music is gonna reflect that. Yes, when sir. I made Dips and Anthem, I was a young kid from the Bronx that was just hungry and excited about making music and a couple of dollars in my pocket. And I wasn't really concerned with success in the music game. I just wanted people to respect me musically. So I was right. trying to make the hardest beats possible. Right, right. My mind, my mind frame is different now. You know what I'm saying? Completely different. Yeah. I see that. Let me ask you, you, you have a, um, the heat makers have a signature sound, you know, you have a distinct sound. Is that what you were going for when you started out? Like to have a signature sound or is it just something that mm -hmm. Everybody, you know, a lot of people think that like I sat down and, and, and it was like a, a premeditated thing to create a sound. For me, it was never that. It was just, I worked with what I had. Like I didn't play the keys. I had a bunch of reggae records laying around the crib because my parents, you know, I'm Jamaican, my parents are Jamaican, so we didn't right. really have like, we didn't have like hip hop and R&B and disco yeah, records. We had, had dub plates. Had, <laughs> I didn't, not dub plates, we had like records, we had like, you know, Barris, um, Barris, yes. Bob Marley, Budger, Capleton, you know what I mean? We had records like that around the crib, so for me, I knew I had to sample, but I never used to like to listen to records at regular speed. I used to always listen to records at 45, even before I was making beats, because it just sounded, it had a feel to me and it sounded better. And I started doing that and using the records I had. And before you know it, people just said a sound was created. You know what I mean? And it was right. just me working with what I had. Yeah, man, because I think I've heard you say it was a plan, you know, working with Cam and y'all creating that sound. y'all. Even with, what was it? With old boy, he came up with some sort of no. What, I forgot what song it was, but y'all collaborated. So I'm gonna do this, and you took that. But I'm gonna do that, and you took that, and all of a sudden you had this this dipset sound. Um, or what, what is named the dipset sound? Yeah, because honestly, what it was was like you when I met when I before I met Cam. When I met Cam's manager at the time, and I gave him a CD with about fifteen. It was about fifteen tracks on there. Nine of those records ended up on Diplomatic Community. So wow. Our, the sound that you hear in Diplomatic Community is the sound that we had, but rappers didn't know how to attack it until we met Dipset. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah, right, right, Because right. a lot of it, because like, if you listen to like, I'm Ready, I'm Ready's not a typical beat where it's like, Classic. you know, like how they have four counts of a beat. It's really like a swing beat. So it, it takes a rapper to, to really sit sit down and figure out a flow to that beat. And a lot Rhythm, of the things yeah. that we did. So, you know, we just met the perfect match at the time. And then our combination created that sound. You know, yeah, I was saying, um, our combination is what birthed that sound. You know, Dipset mm -hmm. combined with Heatmakers birthed that sound. I wouldn't put it all on me. I wouldn't put it all on them. I think it was just a perfect combination. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Y'all made some joints, y'all. Y'all made some. Even, and you spoke about how your music, you know, from you wasn't a kid down. Even when I hear my Erin, Cocaine Dream, and I'm like, this shit grew up. Yeah. Like, the fuck? This shit got some years yeah. on it right now. I feel, them yeah, songs is hard. It's a different swing I, to it, son. You know what it's like, man. I think it's like it's like a it's like being a young superhero and you don't really know how to use your powers yet. You know what I mean? Like as I got older, I figured that. out how to use the I, I figured out how to use the powers I had to to make shit like El Capo. You know what I mean? Like the younger version of me couldn't have made El Capo. I'd have did too much. The older version of me knows where to stop. Like, I right, cool. This record is that's enough done. of this. Yeah. Right. You understand? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's where I'm at in my life now. I just feel like like El Capo was the first project that let me know that like I'm a bona fide producer. Not just a dude that make beats, like I'm a bona fide producer. Like I made every last record on there. Me and Jim arranged it. Like that album. Right. Me and Jim put that album together from top to bottom. Every beat on there I made, every lyric he wrote. You understand? Like so to me, the fact that we could do that together and have people call it one of the best albums they heard in a long time. Right. That means something to me. You know what I mean? That means and, a lot and, to me, to be honest. And it, and it came at a time where Jim is ascending as well. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You right. can tell the maturity in his music, too. It's like, yo, son, you know what? This shit is hot. Fuck what you but say, you know son. Listen to this shit. You got to listen to it, though. Yeah. You can't just sometimes take it for granted. The music pushes you sometimes to become that artist. You know what I mean? Like, if people keep giving you the music you're accustomed to in, like, heavy, street, hardcore, without no extra things to it, then you gonna rap about that same type of thing and it's gonna feel the same. I think I gave him like a wide array of different sounds on this project mm -hmm. so he could really get off and let people know that he really gets busy. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yeah. sir. 
Talk, sure. talk a little bit about, I guess, like your, your evolution as a producer, because you just said something that really resonated with me. You were saying that, you know, the um, the older producer would have probably added on so many other things, but now the producer you are, you, you sort of come to the conclusion that sometimes less is best. What does it take to get yeah. there? I think it takes belief in yourself, man, because I think a lot of producers, they feel as if there's certain, in their head, there's certain elements that have to be in a beat. Like if I do a beat, I need kicks and I need snares, I need hi-hats, I need, you don't really need anything. It's like, you're really just searching for a feel. Mm -hmm. Like when I make music, I'm searching for a feel. When I get that feel, I stop. Like when you listen to El Capo, For the Love of the Hustle, has no drums on it. Maybe in a couple parts, I put a little drums in there, but 90% of the record is no drums. Because to me, it felt right like that. Right. Yeah. And then on top of that, I'm working on an album. So every record doesn't have to have the same elements in it. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what right. helps paint the picture of an album. And I, you know, I learned all, all that over time. But again, the younger version of me would have put drums all over that record and probably <laughs> fucked it up. Yeah. You know who you know who it kind of reminds me of? I think about like some of um Rizza's production. Like Rizza is somebody to me that when I really first heard Rizza, I was like, yeah, like yo, wait a minute, these loops ain't not necessarily even on. You know, it just like Rizza to me is somebody who just took whatever element he felt and threw it in the record and didn't and didn't necessarily feel like, well, mathematically this stuff needs to connect and go together. But it was brilliant and it was genius to it. Yeah, I think I think the more you know when it comes to like the science of music, the less the, the, the less you experiment. You know what All I mean? Right. Like I've I've worked with dudes that that play keys in the in the in the in the church choir and then you get them and try to produce the record with them and they can't do it because they thinking about the science of music and no, nah, this chord can't come after this chord. Mm -hmm. Why not? Does it sound good? If it sounds good, do it. <laughs> Let it go. Let it fly. Like, right. Right. You understand? Like ninety percent of the people that listen to music they don't understand the theory behind music. They just know what sounds good to them. Yeah. So if you deliver that feel, nothing else matters to me. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times, there's been more records than you know, past and present, where they might not have been in key, might not have been in tune, the timing might have been off a little bit, but that's what made it a great record at the end of the day. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, depending on the record. Yeah, it's those imperfections that make it perfect. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I, can, I, can, I can hear, like, your sound, I, I, give, I give, I put categories and shit. That's just me. I'm just that way. Your sound to me is, I mix a sound class hip hop. Like when you hear it, you're, you're ready to like, like I'm on the side of a carnival boat and I'm just ready to march, yo. That's how deep it is. Yeah, I, 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 talk talk, talk, I, about, I don't know, talk about that part. For me, like I said, I've always said before, I don't care what music sounds like. I care what it feels like. You right. know what I mean? Because when we think about music from the past that moved us, we don't think about the sound quality. We don't think, we just know this it was felt my good. shit. <laughs> right, when I heard this record, I felt like doing this. So when I heard this record, it brought me back to this day. It's like, that's because of the feel. You understand? Like, and I think right. a lot of producers now are going for sound. And it's like, there's only so many sounds you could choose from. There's only so many keys on a keyboard. You understand? Right. But it's the, it's the feel that you give to those sounds, the arrangements. and. That's yeah, what man, matters, man. you know what I mean? Placement. And people are, yeah, people are looking past that. And I think I've always focused on that, and that's what's never changed about my music, is that regardless of what, my music is going to make you feel something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it might go it might go from happiness to sadness to excitement to whatever it is, but it's going to make you feel something when you listen to it. Yeah. Talking about, talking about um, times and timeless, Dipset Anthem, timeless record. When you recorded that, when you put that beat together, was it something that you mm -hmm. said, like, you know what? I knew that this was going to stand the test of time. Because here we are 20 years later, and uh -huh. that's still, I've been in concerts. I've been all over the place, and people put that on, and that just rings off. That was that New York that, sound that early. Shit, that, rips, that rips walls off, son. Yeah. <laughs> the, the funny thing about that beat is my cousin is the one that saved it. I was about to throw that beat out. He walked wow. in, because that was my fifth beat for the day, and, you know, my ears were kind of fried. This is when I was in the Bronx, and I was in my mother's basement, I, and my whole shit was, like, making five to seven beats a day, a day. You know what I mean? And that was, like, my fifth beat of the day, and my cousin walked in, and he was like, yo, that shit is crazy. I said, yo, you fuck with it? He was like, yo, that shit is incredible. And I'm like, what? And he was so hype about it, he made me save it. So I saved it. Next time I went to the studio, one of the records I played, and Cam lost his mind over that shit. Cause I remember Cam was the first one to hear, it, and he was like, "Yo, Joel, 
yo, come on, man, come on, you gotta put a verse on this. And he was hype about it. Next time I went back, the record was done. And this, and a crazy fun fact is Dipset Anthem was the last beat to make the Dipset album. Wow. And that shit made it like, because you know, back then you really had, you had a deadline to turn in the album if you wanted okay. to make your release date. It right. wasn't like now where shit was, this shit is digital. So the day that we were supposed to turn the project in, we did Dipset Anthem, I want to say about four days before that. Wow. So, you know, it, it almost never made the album. Wow. Look at that. That's crazy. That's good. And I mean, like you said, that, that sonically, they know what to look for. Him and Jim don't work on it. So now they've learned one another, the placement. One of the biggest things I do ask guys is, I'm an old school guy and I know my little time with dealing with music, we were always in the studio, but now niggas is emailing shit like there's a text message now. <laughs> Which do you yeah. prefer? And I and, and I almost know the answer to this, but I want to hear you say it. You all right with the emailing? Or if you know there's a dope artist you're about to work with, you want him in the studio with you. Yeah, a million percent. I mean, that's always going to be first choices in person because you know, like, again, I've always said that I feel like people hide behind emails. You know, like a producer might send an artist a bunch of beats that he ain't even confident with, but he sends it because he could hide behind the email. He don't got to see the artist's face right. when he listens to beats that he don't like. You know what I'm saying? Like, back in the days when I was coming up in the studios, it was like, I might be in the same studio as three other producers, and we all got to play beats for the same artist. So if your shit is trash, I'm hearing it. And you're seeing the artist's reaction, like, yo, go to the next one, go to the next one. Yo, matter of fact, what the next one you You understand? Like, right. so it was a certain level of quality, you know, you had to walk in there with, especially like baseline studios. Come on, man. Like, I'm around Just Blaze, Kanye West, a bunch of other people. You know what I mean? Like, you had to have something crazy, man. What I look like walking in there with something subpar and Kanye about to play beats after me. And I already know what his shit sound like. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right. And, and raise the ball. And then just. Right, then just about to go after him. Like, come on, I got to set it off and play some of the craziest shit you ever heard in your life. And I think right now that we don't have to deal with shit in person, a lot of producers won't ever get that feel. They won't get that push and that drive to just be better because you don't want to look like no. you right. slacking in person. Mm -hmm. But you're still a composer, you know what I'm saying? You're still the orchestrator. That That's a, that's just a missing element in today's music. I don't know how you feel about today's music or today's hip hop. I'm partial. There's some shit I give the past. I know it's creativity, but there's nothing like it's nothing like getting home cooking. And when I hear a boom bap, I already know where it's going, son. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, you it. You know what though? Here's how my mindset has changed over the years. You see, like the way you just described it, I used to think like that heavy, right? But then I had a talk with like a close friend of mine. He's from Atlanta, so we were talking, and I'm like, "Yo, this is back. This is probably like 2010, maybe." And I'm like, yo, I don't really like where music is headed. Niggas is mumbling on records. They doing this, they doing that. And he was like, yo, my brother, I said, he said, yo, what you don't like, don't listen to, but don't mark off everything just because you don't like, let's say you don't like nine out of 10. Even if you like that one out of 10, mm -hmm. that's the special artist. You understand? Like, right. think right. about, even if you want to, even if you want to talk about boom bap, there's a lot of trash boom bap rappers. Let's not even <laughs> not jog around that. You know what I mean? Like, let's keep it real. Like, there's a lot of boom bap rappers that I can't listen to eight bars of this shit without feeling like, yo, what am I listening to? Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is in every genre of music, we have special artists. What's happened nowadays is that they don't give us a chance to really celebrate the special artists because they throw so much of the nonsense in our face. Right. So we just we just get turned off with the whole process. We kind of like the I don't want to hear nobody. I don't want shit. Right. Fuck this. Get mad. You, you, yeah, you understand? Like, but I'm in the I'm in the music industry, so I can't do that. I can't. I have to kind of sift. Right. I got to sift through all the nonsense, so that I can find that one gem to be like, nah, I like his music for this reason and that reason, and I believe in that person, and I want to do music with him. You understand? Like. If I if I had the same mind frame from ten years ago, it would have been like, nah. If, if the shit don't sound like this, I'm not fucking with it. Now, I realize that there's talent all over the place. You know what I mean? Like, even if I don't like a certain type of music, there's always one or two artists that make me say, nah, fuck with them. Yeah. Like I'm a big fan of Post Malone. I think Post Malone is a very yes, talented sir. artist. And and when he first came out, I remember I was cool with his um. His manager, his manager Dre, was by my studio with my other homeboy, and I remember telling him, I said, yo. When he first came out, had White Iverson. I said, "Yo, I could see him at the Grammys, sitting on a, a stool, playing a guitar, singing some some country folk shit." Mm 
and that's where he's headed now. Wow. You understand? Like certain artists, you kind of see where they're headed, and he was one of those because he was bigger than the type of music he came out making. Yeah. You understand? Like, so artists like him give me hope, and I know that there's always that that gem. You just gotta you just gotta listen, man. Like. Even mm -hmm. in hip hop, I'm sure there's people that haven't been like when you talk about boom bap. Like I don't even, I'm not even a big fan of the word boom bap. I feel like the name, the word. Yeah, it's old. It's dated. It's old. I'm old as shit, bro. You know what I mean? I'm an old guy. So. Right. No, no. I just mean like I don't. You know, <laughs> me as a producer, I don't want to be locked into a. a, a, a right. Era. Just right, right, right. You know I what got I mean? You. Like if you listen to El Capo, I don't want a nigga to feel like oh that's a nigga that nigga from 2000 made that. Nah. The shit gotta right. feel like to the new ears. They gotta feel like whoever this producer is, he's dope. So, you know, I kind of, I, I never use boom bap like that when I talk about my music, definitely don't. And honestly, when people write it in my comments, I feel like, me, you gonna call me a boom bap producer? Like, I think I'm, I kind of came to ever right after that, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Because, you know, they, I consider like, and this is no disrespect to them, but I consider like Premier, yeah. Pete Rock, mm -hmm. like that's the era of the boom bap to me. I feel like when me, Just Blaze, and Kanye came out, we was making some other shit as far as right. like we kind of turned what hip hop was supposed to sound like into whether it was rock music. We blended we blended all types of shit with our music. So I think we kind of did some other shit. I don't even know if we have a name for our shit yet. Yeah. But I think I, I wouldn't consider it going back. Yeah, I think a lot of times what happens with um what happens with music also is that depending on like the era that we've grown up in, because like you're saying earlier that music is so much about you know um, the times, how it made you feel a certain period. We tend to gravitate towards it, but I know for a fact for me, like my um, my youngest son is 17, and he's somebody right. that he'll always come to me and be like, "Yo, you got? Did you listen to Young Thug album, or did you listen to, you know, um, Lil Baby? Did you, you know?" He throws that out right. there. I'll, I'll listen to it, and then you know, there's some stuff that I'll sit with and I'll be like, "This ain't for me," but then there are other things that I that I listen to, and I'm like, "Yo, this shit is kind of dope." Like a person right. who initially, my, my, my youngest son initially told me about was um, Little Baby. Like the first joint he right. had out, he was talking about, wow, 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 I'm the baby or whatever. I was like, nah, this ain't this ain't for me. Oh, you mean the baby or Little Baby? You know little Baby. Saying? Little Baby oh, had little some joint, yeah. Okay. Then as he began to, you know, evolve and I'm hearing more of his Little Baby's dope. Uh, yeah. Little and then baby, I hear, whoa. Little Baby's dope. Yeah, I'm like, yo, the dude actually, he, he got something. He got something. Yeah. Let me ask you Because guys. you know what? Think about it like this, man. Let's say your son would have came to you and told you to listen to these artists and you'd have been like, nah, that ain't my thing. N now you now you turn it into your parents. <laughs> you understand? Cause, yeah. Because when rap music came out, they didn't want to hear no rap. Like I know my mother didn't want to listen to rap. In her eyes, that was noise. Like, what out. is this? <laughs> right, yeah. so I think you have to have an open mind frame nowadays because, yes, sir. you know, my I got two daughters, but my oldest daughter, she's, she's 20. So in her eyes, it's like, she been listening to music that I probably wasn't on, and so she put me on to things, and I appreciate it because I like to know where her generation's ears is at. Yeah, that's right. Yep, you know that's what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's right. So it's and like our homework, man. Like, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, yo, that to me is extremely important. So that's an easy sell for me because I'm a person where, like, I just appreciate all different genres of music. So I'm sure he came to me right. knowing that, you know, that I would be open to hearing it. Let me ask you this: What was the um? When did you know that you had something, and what was your first placement? Like the first album, the first joint you you, know, you produced that landed on an album. Um, cannabis. Two thousand. The record was called Two Thousand BC. Okay. Um, it was, and that was actually the name of the album too. It was his, it yeah. was his second album. He had did the first one with Wyclef, and um, the one we did was called 2000 BC on that same album. So yeah, that was that was the first placement I ever got. Okay, that was I think that was uh, it was like a one verse song or something like that. Like probably. Yeah, it was like a it was like an intro. I remember like he had he had verses panning from left to right. It was like it was a bunch of shit. <laughs> A bunch of shit. That was like I, I was so brand new, man. I remember going to the studio to track the beat out, and I didn't even know how to track a beat out. Like the engineer was looking at me like, "Yo, the fuck is he doing here? Like, you don't know that, you know what I mean? Like, right, it right. was just a, it was, it was a, it was the learning experience that I needed. Yeah, crash course, like super crash course, but I needed that. Now we, I've asked artists this also, like the, the um, you know, and I'm sure like it's a different day and age in terms of budgets and stuff like that and how it worked. But do you remember with the, right. the first thing you bought with the first check you got? Did you re up and get more equipment, or did you like, nah, I gotta get the chain, the car? Nah, but the the first check I got, I actually got jerked because there was a dude Damn. who got us the place. There was a dude who got us the placement, 
And at the time, the Heat Makers was me and my, my partner, Thriller. Mm-hmm. So the dude hit us. He was like, yo, Cannabis wants to track. Here's what's going to happen. He was like, um, they only gave you, they gave us 5,000. We got to give the lawyer. He said, I got to take my piece. I'm going to take 1,000. There's four left. He said, um, the lawyer needs 1,500. So I'm going to leave you out with 2,500. So we split 2,500. And years later, I remember being in the Universal office and I ran into a dude that I knew and he was like, yo, y'all got lucky on your first placement. Y'all made $8,000. And I'm like, I was like, 8,000? What are you talking about? We got 5,000. And he was like, nah, you got $8,000. So long story short, homeboy took 4,000 from us. And I mean, it was what it was. He took 4,000 and right after that, you know, diplomatic immunity came up and we made six figures. So I wasn't even really worried about that. You know what I mean? How, how was it working with Luda and I-20? I like that song you did with them. Oh, I-20's my nigga. That's like, me and I-20 still speak a couple times a month. You know what I mean? Like, we still reach out to each other and talk and chop it up about music and family and all that. So, I-20, the way I met him was, he was a fan of I'm Ready, and he said he wanted to work with... He actually said we were on his uh, wish list for producers for his album before he put his first album out. Mm. And uh, his homeboy by the name of Rich Nice reached out to us and came to the studio, met with 20, and we just we just been cool ever since. I used to go to Atlanta, chill at his crib. Like, we was actually, you know what I mean? Like, me and him was actually really close and used to hang out. So, yeah, 20's still a good dude, man. Yeah. I'm ready. Another, another, another timeless. Yo, it's oh, just yeah. timeless, yeah. yeah. Yeah, another one. Have you ever had an experience where you had to convince an artist, like, yo, this, this is the one for you, this is the beat, and they weren't buying it, or... They end up doing um, it, said it, and then they and then it turned out to be something. Uh, I want to say, let me think, let me run through some records in my head and think, because it, it probably was recently. Because I'm not, I'm not the type to try to force a record on an artist, but you know, like working with somebody like Jim, where we're working close, I'll have records that I know I I want to hear him on, mm-hmm, and right. he might be fighting a little bit, like nah, I'll pull up another beat. And I'm like, yo, trust me, Jim, just do this first, please. <laughs> and he might end up, I'm trying to remember what record that happened with if I had to really think. Um, well, Pity in the Summer, actually, he had did a verse on Pity in the Summer and forgot about it. He put that track on the album, you know, rest in peace to Fred the God. So Fred reminded him that he did that record yeah. because he wasn't really on that record like that till he heard it the day before the album came out. And he was like, nah, I got to. And I'm bugging. I need this record. Mm-hmm. He called Cam. Cam came through, put a verse on there. Fred already had a verse on there because we thought Jim wasn't going to use it. So Fred was going to use it for his project. Yeah. And Jim heard it like, nah, I need that. So that's how Jim, Cam, and Fred ended up on that record. But that was one of those records that he just had sitting there for, yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. Rest in peace to Fred the God. Fred the wrong side. Yeah. And I, and, and I wanted to add on to that because I, I think y'all were doing uh, a fundraiser, not a fundraiser. Uh, Fun, something you were doing. It was a, yeah, it's a foundation, but you know, foundation. there's other than that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not too, too caught up with what that is exactly. So, you know, yeah. but we putting out, a, we putting out another project for Fred. We putting together a documentary. We're going to do a, when everything clears up, we're going to do a benefit concert for him with a couple big artists and other artists that supported Fred. So we got a bunch of things in the work, things in the work, man. We just, um, you know, things just got to get back to somewhat normal. Mm-hmm. Right. If they, uh, he deserves it. Yo, Fred the Godson's like the mayor of the Bronx. Just in general, the mayor of hip-hop, like, everybody loved him. It, fe- it felt I good coming from the sure. Bronx, man, because not that we don't have Bronx artists, but I think us Bronxians, we're humble, we're humble guys. We don't like the braggadocio or nothing like that, but if, if we could come with And, too, it's, it, it's different when you see somebody's journey, man. Like, you know, a lot of people, like, people that might hit me in my DM or like they see might see where I'm at now where I was at in 2001 or 2002 and it's the same thing with Fred like I watch Fred's journey from Fred battling dudes on you know what I mean mm-hmm. around his way to, to Fred trying out for 106 in Park to rapping for me in front of my car the first time I met him in front of 106 in Park mm-hmm. to coming to my studio doing records with him and his man Slim when he was part of a group like, I just knew Fred, and I watched his whole journey. So for me, it's, it hit me even harder because I seen what he had to go through to get to the point that he's at now where he's respected by all these artists and and, and, and people feel a way because he passed. You know what I mean? Like, 
I just seen the whole journey. So for me, this shit it's harder for me because I was around Fred five days a week for like the better part of the last eleven years. You know what I mean? Mm. And we made it. We made tons of great music, and it's just hard to see somebody's dream get cut short like that. No matter where they from, you know. I know Fred is from the Bronx, but to me, man, like he was yeah. just a special type of dude. No matter where yeah. he's from. Yeah, it's just a good dude. The days of the big recording budgets are long gone. Uh, what do you mm -hmm. attribute the change to, and how has that impacted producers? Um, it's actually works out better for producers, but producers don't know how the new game works yet, so they think it's a bad thing. You understand? Like back in the day, if you could get twenty grand, thirty grand for a beat, if you're like a mid-range producer, like if you're a producer who gets about four or five major placements a year. Back then, you'd probably get about 30 to 40 grand for a beat. But then all of that is recoupable. So now they put the album out and you got to pay that 40,000 back off of the 2% you getting off the album. Mm -hmm. So how long is that going to take you? You know what I mean? And yeah. how much money is the label going to make before you even meet that 40 grand and start making profit? Yeah. Wow. Nowadays, nowadays, you and an artist put a project out. The only middleman is either is, is Spotify, Apple Music, or Tidal, or Google Play, or one of those other distribution outlets. They might take 10%, so now you and the artist can bust down the other 90%. You know what I mean? 45, 45, and now you're making real money. If a project sells even 10,000 copies at $10 a piece, you know what I mean? You take 45% of that, that's good money. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, the ob objective nowadays is quantity. You have to put out a certain amount of music so that the money stream can keep coming as it's supposed to. You know, back in the days you put a project out, you had to wait six to eight months to even start seeing some profit because labels were behind as far as paperwork goes and figuring out who's supposed to get what and adding up numbers and this, that, and the third. Now distribution companies are paying you every month. Wow. Right. Once, once you start making a profit, you get a check every month. You know what I mean? And so when you see all of these dudes running around with bricks of money and all that shit, that's really distribution and show money. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If it's done right, some of these dudes are making 50, 60 grand a month easy just off of streams. Yeah. Easy, like, easy. You think about a million streams on YouTube, that counts. You know what I mean? It's all it's all one big pot. So yeah. as long as you get millions of streams, you should be good, man, and you keep putting out material. Yeah, I ironically, Dipset was one of the first people, I think Cam was one of the first people who actually embraced the going the independent route you know, he was working with, I think, Kai yeah. at the time or something like that. But there's a lot of artists that were not receptive to going independent. And I always wondered, I'm like, is it that they didn't believe that they had the ability to promote themselves without a major label? No, you know what it was? It was just kind of, this is what I think. I think it was uncharted territory and nobody wanted to be the first to experiment. Because what happens with a major label is they say, all right, cool. We want you to put an album out. Here's a $150,000 advance. All right, now you got that. Now, while you're working on the album, they promoting you and you're doing shows here and there. You're making some money. So by the time the album comes out, in a lot of artists' brain, they like, I'm doing shows, I'm making money. Even though I didn't recoup off the album, I got whatever's left of that buck fifty in my pocket plus the show money, plus other little feature money. Mm -hmm. And it ain't until all that other money dries up that now they thinking like, yo, why ain't you make no money off this album? <laughs> it's because yeah. they told you they spent 50... Five, not even 50, 500,000 to promote your album. They gave you that buck 50 up front. So now you're in the whole 650. Mm -hmm. So it's a bunch It's a bunch of shit that's happening that you're not thinking in your head. Like when they flew you out to Cali, they put that on your bill. Yeah. So now you stayed in that nice hotel. That's on your bill. They rented you a car. That's on your bill. You was in the studio for a week straight. You paid for that. Mm -hmm. So by the time you look around, it went from 650 to 900,000. Now you're in the whole 900,000 and you got to pay that 900,000 back with your 12% because they keep an 88. You understand? Like, it's a it's a dirty Jeez. game, man. So it's like, that's why you see you see some artists, because think about it, if somebody's making 88%, right? How much times are they gonna make their profit before you even paid them back? Right, they done flipped it about 88 like, times. Right, if the album made a million dollars, right? And you owe them something simple, you owe them 400 grand, album made a million dollars, they're gonna take 880,000 Mm -hmm. You take the rest, but you don't even take the rest because they're taking that too to pay back what they gave you, and you still right. in the red. Still in the red. Album made a million dollars, and you still in the red over three hundred thousand or close to three hundred thousand. Yeah. You understand? Like, that's the nasty game. But 
back then artists didn't know how the independent game worked. So to them it was like, I'll keep taking this advance. I'll keep doing what I've been doing because I live pretty decent and I don't see it slowing down. But when it slows down, now everybody's beefing like, yo, they want lawyers to sue this label to see why they ain't make no money. Meanwhile, the independent artists are sitting back living incredible. Lavish. Selling dead. a quarter. Selling a quarter with the major artists sold and making way more money. Right. Because think about it. If you independent artist, right, and you put an album out today and next month you saw a check for five grand, as a businessman, what's going to pop in your brain? Let me do another one so I can make 10 grand a month, right? Right. Multiply. And then keep, and then keep doing that. And my brain is going to be like, all right, if, if putting out one makes me five grand a month for at least six to eight months, well, let me try putting out six or seven in a year and see what yeah. happens. Yeah. Hell yeah. Why not? That's right. Because most of the time, it don't take shit to record a song. You don't need a big ass studio. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you can make songs and put them out fast. That's why I tell artists all the time, just put your team together. Have a, have a dope engineer, have a dope videographer. And that's really know. all you need. That's right. You know what I mean? your own shit. A million percent. If you can, why not? Yeah. That's right. This in this digital age too, music is so disposable. It's like, you know what, you have a you see people album come out, like everybody's talking about last week, Pop Smoke album. You know, I, I guarantee yeah. probably like a week from now, people will probably be on to whatever the next project is. Yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of a shame too, man. But I guess I guess I wouldn't expect nothing less because that's where music is at now. It's like there's so many artists and each of them have an even platform as far as like they, they all have access to social media. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a thousand new projects coming out a day, how can you expect music not to be that disposable? So, you know, I don't really know how to look at it nowadays. I just know try to make something that make people feel something forever and they'll keep listening to it. Yep. That's what's up, man. And you know, another ascending in my opinion, another ascending artist that you work with that your project or your, what you work with is Joel O.T. Tell me about Gorilla Glue. How did that work? How did that, how was that project? Um, well, Joel, when I first met Joel, the first project I kind of did with him was uh, House Slippers. But around that nice. time, we were just getting cool. You know, we just met each other. We were just getting cool. And Fred used to always be around. So I just love rappers that can rap. You know what I mean? And I knew Fred was on top of his game when it com- when it comes to rap, and Joel was on top of his game, and I just wanted to hear a record with both of them. Right. So I used to always be like, "Yo, y'all should do a project. Y'all should do a project." And at first, Joel was kind of like on his own. You know, he was fresh out of slaughterhouse, he was kind of slowing down, mm-hmm. and he was he was focusing on his own thing, so he wasn't really entertaining the idea too much. And um, I just remember getting him to do the first record. Then I would kind of sneak and get him to do another record, like have Fred put a verse, <laughs> get Joel to put a verse, not knowing Fred is on there sometimes. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and then it just turned into oh shit, we got Gorilla ten Glue. songs, <laughs> right? It you know turned into Gorilla Glue Part One, and then now I'm just waiting for Joel to put a couple more verses. We have Gorilla Glue Part Two to put out. Nice. You know, probably nice. I probably won't put that out till the top of next year because I want to put out. Um, me me and Fred was working on Contraband Three. So I want to put that out maybe like around end of September, early October, and then Gorilla Glue the top of next year. Right. Nice. Okay. That's what's up, man. Um, so, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. After Cam's killer season, you didn't work with Cam again until Purple Hit Two, right? Yeah. Why? Well, no, actually, actually, well, Diplomatic Ties. Oh yeah. Diplomatic Ties. Yeah. And, and, and and wasted talent because he was on he was on uh, a couple records I did on wasted talent he was on come home I mean not come home he was on uh, once upon a time and he was on um, diplomatic immunity yeah why so, the, why yeah. the hiatus though like from him from from solo projects because to me you were like you were like Cam Sound yeah I I don't know man I just think everybody was at a different place in life just trying to adjust to the change of the music industry. Because if you think about it, man, the music, since Dipset came out, the music industry has made a huge change as far as how we consume music. So I just think a lot of artists had to figure out how to adjust to the game. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like if a dude is hustling in the street and he's he's from the 70s and he was used to, he was used to hustling heroin and now we in the, we in the 90s and they moving fent. I mean, we in 2000. They moving fentanyl. It's kind of like you got you got to change your game up. You know what right. I mean? Like, and that's what the that's what the music game was. We was trying to we was trying to act like we was selling the same drug and we wasn't. You understand? Like we was we was 
we were selling something different to the people now that the, 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 the way people consume music is different. So we had to approach it differently. That's what I think. You know, I, I'm not gonna make it sound like I had conversations with Cam about this, but mm-hmm. what I feel is that Cam is a businessman. So in his brain is like, how do I adapt to right now? And that's always been the problem with a lot of artists is kind of, you have when to stop fit in and be like, when the right. wave is changing, right? Right, you ha- you have to because there's a lot of artists that refuse to change, and they just look washed up out here now. Because yeah, in a way, you have to. I'm not saying yeah. change your look, your sound, your style, but you have to figure out what works for now. Why do you, think, why do you think people are reluctant to change, though? I just I think I think people feel like when they change, they're changing themselves. They feel like because I had that problem before, like when when things started to become more digital, like as far as like how you track out a beat, how you presented beats, when you didn't need CDs no more and everything was about flash drives, or when you DJ and you didn't have to carry records no more, you just put all your music on a flash drive with your laptop, or when music went from turntables to to just straight like Serato, you understand like, all of these things you you have to adjust to, but you know, the stubborn dude will still walk into the club with 25 crates of records for no reason. I hope not. Or you get, trust me, there's, there's still yeah, DJs I'm around sure. that, that still think like that. But you just you just got to think different, man. Like, nobody wants to work harder instead of smarter. Just work smarter nowadays. That's really all it's about. That's a good point. That's a very good point, man. That's a very good point. So, what, yo, what's, what's your favorite dip set joint that you've done, man? The top of the... I'm ready. Damn, son. I'm ready. Shit, I'm ready. That's I'm ready too, damn. <laughs> Classic one right there, man. That's the one record I made in my life that I knew was special. I knew it. Like, whether anybody rapped it or not, that record was special to me from the minute I finished making it a beat. I knew that record was special. Was that when you was in the lab, when you got that 30,000 of worship equipment? <laughs> I already came out of there? Yeah, none. See, yeah, definitely came. That was, that was that was my mother's basement. I, I remember going to the record store to go find some samples, and the first record I picked up was that Barbara Mason record. And I was in a store where they let you listen to and the listen record to first. It. So right, right. So as soon as I put the needle on the turntable, it landed on that. I'm ready, and I always had my shit on 45, so it sounded exactly like what you hear on the sample. And I'm like, Ooh. all I had to do was chop it up and make it into you know take the pieces I wanted, but the tone of the record, I'm like. Yeah, I'm running I gotta home. get home. I got Yeah, as soon as I, as soon as I listened to that, I bought that record, hopped in the car, drove home, made that beat in about 15 minutes, and listened to it for two hours on repeat mm. until anybody heard it. I just sat in the dark. I sat in my mother's basement with the lights out, listening to that shit on repeat for two hours. <laughs> yeah, I know that shit sounds crazy, but <laughs> nah, I nah. just knew that. Yo, Not I at knew all. That shit was special. <laughs> Cause now that beat is still that song still on replay. Like I still listen to that over and over again. You um you you had I'm yeah. sure you spent plenty of time like up at baseline. You know um yeah. Did you were you do you feel as if like you were considered almost like a in-house producer for Dipset or you know like did you ever try to pass you off to Jay or? No, nah, there's a there's a lot of things that happened, man. But I definitely was looked at like a like a in-house producer for Dipset. <laughs> not in a not like it was a bad thing, but yeah, it was just like it worked. Know, magic, like, I got magic, man. Those are yeah, those are stories for the documentary. <laughs> but it was a lot of crazy shit that 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 followed behind that. But it is you know, it is what it is. What was it like getting back together to record um, diplomatic ties? Because I mean, after they had like you know, for the, for for the world, the, the world seemed you know them separate and not spend a lot of time together, and then diplomatic ties represented the coming back together. Yeah, um, I don't think it was, I don't think any of us thought about it like, as like, well, me personally, I didn't think about it as like a grand moment because I never fully lost contact with any of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, even though we didn't work the same, I might have reached out to Cam once in a while. Even though we didn't work the same, I might have hit up Joel's once in a while. And Jim was recording at my studio, so I seen Jim all the time. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, I was just happy that Musically, we were all trying to be on the same page. That's what made me happy. You know what I mean? I would have loved to do the whole Diplomatic Ties if I could. I only did, uh, I think I did three records. But if we would have had more time, I would have loved to produce the whole thing. I think that would have made it. Right. Yeah. If I could have did that. Yeah. You did did Boy Boy also, right? 
Yeah. I remember hearing that on a K Slate mixtape and was like, oh shit, yo, he can't got one with this. Yeah, 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 boy, boy. That was one of the yeah. It was dad. It was dad and come home with me. Was on that album that we did. Yeah, Yeah, unforeseen place. I see you have music music credit. You did the theme song for Huang's World for Vice. How did that happen? (laughs) Um, that's so crazy. I I, I watched that show. That's fine. That's That's so. That's from the old seasons, right? Yeah. About to say them niggas using it again. They might owe me another check if they're using it this season. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Look for it in the mailbox, yeah. brother. Nah, Hong was a um, Hong was a Dipset fan. So he, I guess his wish list was to have a Dipset record be the the theme song, but produced by me with Cam on there. Right. So the the um so Vice reached out at the time. It was Vice, right? It's Vice. If it's I'm not like, mistaken, this was years ago. Vice. Yeah, Vice reached out. But I think this is the time when Fox, I, I think Fox bought Vice, if I'm not mistaken. But this is the time that Vice got bought by Fox. So Fox reached out and was like, yo, da 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 da. And everything got handled in a matter of like days, like three, four days. Like that shit was fast. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which was pretty dope because that, that TV and film money is a little bit, well, not a little bit, a lot better. <laughs> than, right. uh, <laughs> than the regular that's shit. That's a different check, huh? <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it's constant. Right, like Hong's continuous. World, the crazy shit is what the bugged out part about Hong's World. When they decided they were gonna use it for, I guess I think they used it for two seasons, if I'm not mistaken, one or two seasons. I think it was two seasons. Because when they decided they were gonna use it for another season, I just woke up to a to a direct deposit in my account, and it was like. And at first, I looked at it like, what the fuck is this? But then I realized <laughs> like, oh shit, they just reing up. <laughs> that's You're it. Like, like, that's next back. season. Three. Run it back for season three. Yeah, so it, that's that's dope. And then and then we had did um his homeboy uh, got marathons on Vice. You could watch hours of his shit, so yeah, yeah. I, I seen it the other day. I was, I was watching a piece of it. I was I was trying to show uh I was trying to show Wifey the, the theme song because I never really used to watch a show like that. But um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's bugged out, man. Like we had did Uncle Drew. We had did the Uncle Drew soundtrack. You know, me, I think it was me. All, well, all the dip set and my man Drama was on the hook, but I produced the beat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, TV and TV and film money is different, man. It's sure. just way better. <laughs> way better. <laughs> That's all I can say. It's just way better. I um I often ask producers this question, and sometimes they get stuck. Tell, tell me an underrated producer that that's, that's dope that don't get there just do. Um... Shit, if we talking about under underrated, like as far as like we know the name, but he don't he or she don't get the, the, yeah. the just do they supposed to. Um Well I'll be biased and I mean I guess he gets his just do, but but when I know the records he's done, I would say Buck Wild. My man Buck Wild. Mm-hmm. The reason why I say that is Yeah, like Buck Wild gets his he gets his credit, but I don't think people really understand the 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 magnitude of the records he's produced in hip hop. All right, he's got a lot. You know what I mean? Like if you talk about, I got a story to tell. If you talk about, if you talk about pun, dream pun. shatterer. Right. If, if you talk, if you talk about Black Rob Wool. You know what I mean? We talking about Jay Z. Um. Um. Uh, Lucky me. Lucky me. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, you understand? Like, and then up till now with the stuff he's done for Game, like Father, like Son, like you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the reason why I'm saying all that is because. Even though Buck is a friend of mine, when I used to go to the studio and I used to see his plaques, I'm like, yo, Buck, you did this? And he was so nonchalant about it. Like, oh, yeah, like he would have a pun plaque buried in the corner behind some other shit. And I'm like, what the fuck is this for? He's like, yo, um, for Dream Shatter. And uh, like he did what a thug about for Beanie. Like, come on, man. Buck is different. And I just think that because he's not the loud, outspoken type of producer, that a lot of that shit flies under the radar. And I just think that you know, like people like him should get their flowers while he's here, man, because it won't be until somebody does a documentary on him or something where they be like, Word, he did that too? Word, he worked with Babyface? Word, he did, you understand? Like, yo, I tell you, know, that's the Bronx in us, man. We creators, and when we become creators, we go humble, yeah. man. We like, we just sit and knock, we just sit. That's it, man. Yeah. It's Bronx Bink, shit. Bink is another brother to me, too. Bink is dope. I think that a lot of people don't give Bink his just due. Yeah, he's a he's a whole different story, man. I ain't even gonna get into him. Not he's his own he's he's his own reason why he ain't where he's supposed to be at. He's feeling himself too much, but it is what it is. 
I That's saw, a whole nother story, man. Off the, off the record, we'll talk and I'll, I'll give you my opinion. Okay. But, I mean, yeah. we could do it on the record, but I don't want to turn this into a fucking Jerry Springer show, but. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I saw online that, um, that uh, did, did you, you submitted beats for, um, for Yeezus? For the, for the Jesus album? Yeah, I actually, I actually got credits on that album on the on Bound 2, but what he did was he was just taking sounds from different beats that I guess certain beats he bought from certain people and putting it together. And I never even talk about it because, I, you know, it wasn't the record I gave him. The record I gave him, it was a, it was a James Brown sample that had elements of kind of like that in there, but not really. And so I don't really take credit for it because it don't sound like the music I gave them. So I don't even really mention it unless people bring it up. You know what I mean? But I got paid for it. If that right. makes a difference. Yeah. What high school you went to uptown, bro? I went to Spelman. Right across from right Eden right Wall. across from uh Eden Wall. From Eden Wall. Yeah. Eden yeah, Wall. right across from Eden Wall. Yeah. Spelman was a good school. Yeah. Tigger went there. Tigger was there too. You remember Tigger, right? Tigger, yeah. MPT. He lived in co-op, I think, right? Did he live in co-op? Chiali. Chiali yeah. went there too, I think. Yeah, Chiali went there. I went after to I, after Yeah, after I left Spelman, I went to Howard. I was in Howard, Howard in DC for mm-hmm. like three years, four years, and I got kicked out of my fourth year, I think. Yeah, so to no, be honest no. with you, man, I high school and High school and all that shit is like a, it's like a blur to me, man. I don't even remember that shit. It's so like my life didn't life, start man. to me. Right. Nah, it's just it just I feel like I didn't grow into myself until I left high school. I feel like high school for me was like I felt like it was a place I didn't belong, and then college was more me coming into myself, exploring my creative side and things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That's your journey, bro. Is there an artist that you um that you like to work with that you haven't had an opportunity to work with yet? There's a bunch. It's my my favorites, man, or, or people I've been a fan of, like whether it's Eminem, whether it's Fifty Cent, whether it's Jay Z, um, uh, just just people I've been fans of, Pusha T, um, Jada Kiss. Like I've done records with Jada as a feature, but I want to do. I want to lock in and do records with Jada as far as... For the whole lot. You know what I mean? Get he, the, you get right, that call, that'd be great. Jada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, Jim told me that Jada told him that, um, you know, on his uh, bucket list is to work with the heat makers, so we're going we gonna to make it happen. Nice. Fact. That'd be something to look forward to. That'd be great. Yeah. I asked I you earlier if you ever had to convince somebody to, um, to take a beat. Let me ask you this. Have you ever made a track, and I know you were saying that for Dipset Anthem, but if you could tell us another one, have you ever made a track that he was like, nah, this one ain't it, and then somebody came along, snatched it up, and made a banger to it? That was the um, joint he was a throw away, and his cousin said, keep that, son. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he was saying besides Dipset Anthem, um, I didn't think, I thought, I still think, I still think I could have made Who Am I better. I, I thought Who Am I wasn't made to its best ability, but people, they just loved it. They didn't even want me to change nothing. I just want, you know, I, I felt like I could have made that beat better, but I might actually redo that shit one day. Mm. But Who Am I was one of those I felt like could have been better, but everybody loved it. Yeah, Joel's killed it. Yeah. Joel's yeah, that, no, he bodied that. He made me He made me like the record more after he, <laughs> after he did what he did. Yeah. yeah. I have to say also, like, Jim Jones to me is somebody that I think that just as Rob was saying earlier, Jim Jones has ascended as an MC in his own right. Like I remember hearing right. Jim on early Dipset records and Jim was kind of the person where people was like, all right, Jim is still feeling his way through it. But now you hear Jim on records with um, Ken. I look, for, I look forward to hearing what Jim Yeah, yeah, Jim. That's like, the you know, I'm gonna be honest with you, people's artists should be nervous that Jim's lyrical ability caught up to his charisma. Yes, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Which is a scary sight because Jim always had the the charisma and the swagger to pull off the artist shit. Now that his lyrics matched up with that, it's just, that's a scary sight to me mm-hmm. for other artists. You know what I mean? Because right. a lot of artists could be nice as hell, but they corny sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Jim, got, Jim, Jim. He's growing into his. It's, 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 a, it's a grown can, man. A million percent. Like Jim, mm-hmm. Jim knows how to make music. Jim knows about fashion. Jim knows about. Right. He knows other. He knows other entertainers. It's like it's a scary thing that that you give him those type of keys. 
because he has access to everything now. Yes, sir. And always can make a song. Always. Right. Song. Like Jim, when he started, he, you think back like Jim's very first project, like Jim always would give you like one, you always have one dope single minimum off the album. Yeah. You always can make a song. And so. El, El Capo 2, El Capo 2, which is pretty much done, is is incredible. I'm waiting for it, brother. I think your music, like I said, I call it sound clash hip hop. That shit be have me ready, son. What, what you say, yo? <laughs> I hear, I hear too, that. Man. Yo, I swear, because the, the samples you catch, how you speed them up, slow them down, but then how you chop it and you catch it right back, got me, son. So it's gone. Yeah, we good up. Couple part two, man. Just remember, I told you first. Yes, sir. Incredible. Incredible. So, so what's next for you? What you what you got coming up next besides El Capo two? I got a project I did with EP. I did with Currency. That um, mm -hmm. we about to mix. We about to mix and get out. And um, I'm trying to put together a project with a uh, a full project with Cam. We a couple of records in already, yeah, but do. nothing nothing crazy. Um. Uh, I got Fred the Godson Contraband 3 coming. Okay. Uh, Gorilla Glue Part 2, like I said before. El Capo Part 2. And um, I did a record for Ross that's supposed to be on the next project he's putting out. So, Thanks. you know, just keep your, keep your ears open, man. See what see what happens. Nice, nice. Looking forward to that. That's what's up. You're, so I, I saw I saw on your Instagram it seemed like that um, that you got uh, an affinity for something that I love doing. You got a Peloton? Oh yeah yeah yeah. I do like I do like ten and a half ten and a half miles every day. Yeah, I just yo how how many rides you in so far? I just got my hundredth ride the, um I think on Saturday, but I I try to ride every day. Uh, I'm, I'm at one forty two. Nice. Wow. Y'all brothers need to be on the Tour de France, man. Stop no, playing. Nah, listen, man. I ain't gonna lie to you. I don't know how he feels about it, but I swear to God, every day I do that, but that shit does not get easier. You know how some people be like, you do that shit? That <laughs> shit feels like I'm gonna die every morning on that shit, man. Like, <laughs> I do ten and a half, half miles in a half an hour. That shit is no joke, man. Yeah. Wow, that's deep. Yo, that but deep. I, I'll, tell, I'll tell you this. Like, yo, I had a streak of like 30-some days going, but then I, I broke out and I went to Atlanta. And like I have built up a real good rhythm, and I was like, "Yo, all right, I'm straight. I got on. You know, once you get in your groove and you get going, yeah. Oh, yo, I took them that break for a couple of days. I came back, did a 20 minute joint. Yo, I was I was sweating like somebody threw a bucket of uh, water over me. How about how about, how about this? I had like a I want to say I had like a 50 something day streak going, right? Yeah. So wifey's telling me she's like, "Yo, you gotta chill, give your body a rest," because I was doing that going to the gym, boxing, doing all types of shit. So she's like, yo, you gotta give your body a rest, just relax. So I'm like, all right, I chilled, got back on that bike. I swear to God, you might have, I was gonna die on that shit. I said, what the, like, once you get a rhythm going, right. you cannot lose that rhythm on that yeah. bike. One day tops. If you take more than one day, your body's saying, nigga, I forgot what it feels like to be on that shit. You can't get on that shit no more. Yeah, you got to keep that shit going. Yo, but 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 I'm not going to front, though. It's like some of that, just doing it. I, I, after I do it, I feel real good. Like, doing it. Now, you feel like you, you feel like you could conquer the world, man. You, you know what it is about that shit? It's like a metaphor for life, man. Like, I don't want to get on that bike every morning. Mm -hmm. I know what type of torch I'm about to face. <laughs> but when I'm finished, when I'm finished, I feel like, I feel wow. like I'm on top of the world. Like yeah. I just conquered something. And it's like, again, it's a metaphor for life. There's a bunch of shit I don't want to do when I wake up. But when I do it and I do it to the best of my ability, I feel like the man after that. I'm like, that's right. you understand? So that's, that's another reason why I do the bike. I don't want to do that shit, but I know that when I finish, I accomplish something. Yeah, yeah. Who you um, who you ride with on there? I, I ride with a couple of different people. I, I do um, Alex Toussaint. As everybody do him, because it's like, yo, you got to do the black. I do Alex Toussaint. I do yeah. uh, Ben, Ben Aldis, I think. Robin Arzon. Yeah. Um, it's so, yo, I'm the, I'm the type of person, when I do, like, the first class I got in that I was cool with, I, I, I did, like, 70 classes with that person. Then, I like, this morning I switched up, because Wifey's brother was sending me his numbers, and his numbers was looking kind of crazy. I, I had to try to top his numbers, man. He was doing, like, <laughs> 10.6 miles and a half. I said, nah, nah I got to. Yeah, man. I got to do some mother shit, man. But it's a, to me, that's dope, man. Especially during the quarantine. Yeah. You need that. Yep, for sure. 
Yeah, we need that. that. Good well, stuff, man. Thanks again for agreeing to come on and do this for us, man. I really it's been a pleasure, brother. No problem, man. I appreciate y'all for having me on here. And it's always, a, it's always, yo, like I said, the Bible in the back, criminal minded, it's always a beautiful thing to see somebody from the front winning.